Good evening. Welcome to Hope. We are glad that you're here today. If you're a guest with us, uh, my name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope, and I just want to offer a special welcome to you. We hope that you're blessed by this service. So if you go to the very end of Scripture, you go to the book of Revelation, to the last chapter, the, the second to last verse, there's this uh, expression, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. It's one of the last things that is said in Scripture. And, and what it is referring to is this anticipation that we have that one day, as we confess, when we confess the Apostles' Creed, that well, Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead, that there will be a second coming of Jesus Christ. In this sermon series, Come Lord Jesus, on Sundays, we're taking a look at, at the anticipation that Mary would have had, the Virgin Mary, as she received this news that she was to bear Christ in this world. And that's what Advent, the season before Christmas, is really about, is we anticipate and prepare. But on Wednesday nights, we're looking at the anticipation that we're in right now, this time in between where we are waiting for our Savior to come. We are waiting for our Savior to come. And one of the things that I, that I recognize about anticipation, because uh, I'm, I'm a dad and I remember even though my kids are a little older now, I remember uh, at waiting to have Eliana, our firstborn. And, and it was a mixture of two feelings. Hope, excitement, woohoo, right? I'm gonna be a dad. This is awesome. And absolute dread. What are they thinking? Don't I need a license for this? Right? No way we could possibly be old enough or responsible enough to bring another life into the world. Anybody feel these feelings ever, right? I probably still feel that way. Uh, but it is true. And, and I think that's true of, of our lives. When we anticipate something, when we, we think about especially Jesus Christ coming again, it can either be something that produces anxiety and fear in us or tremendous hope. The goal of this series and the goal of, of preaching through Revelation in this series, not through Revelation, parts of Revelation, is to encourage you that it's about hope. That the message that we have is not one of fear and worry, but it's about hope. Uh, this became uh, especially apparent to me this, this week earlier. This week I was uh, texting uh, a, a close person in my family back and forth. And, and one of the things that they were worried about was all the stuff that they're hearing on social media right now and all the stuff that they're, they're seeing in the world and they're wondering, is the end of the world coming? Right? Is the end of the world coming? And how do we know? And of course, I'm a pastor, so they thought I'd be the obvious person to ask. And so if we are anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, I think one of the things we have to do is, is, is the first step is to let's look at what happens at the end. If we go to the end, the last two chapters are Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And in Revelation chapter 21, here's what we see happens. That the city of God, which is the new Jerusalem, comes. And heaven and earth collide. And heaven and earth 
are made new because of the presence of God who reigns in the city of God. Let me say that again because that's kind of tricky, okay? So heaven and earth collide, and heaven and earth are made new because God comes and makes all things new. And in that making of all things new, this is a place where there's no more mourning, there's no more crying, there's no more war, there's no more suffering, there's no more hurt, where God himself is with us always. There's rejoicing and praise, and he wipes every tear from every eye. It's a beautiful picture of what happens, and it's a picture of hope. You see, one of the things that's true for us as Christians is, is we know how it's all going to end. I've read to the end of the book. And so if you're filled with fear in our world today, wondering what's going to happen and how it's going to happen, my encouragement to you today is this. Jesus Christ sits on the throne today and forever. And you and I are in the hands of a God who loves us and is with us forever. So God makes a new heaven and a new earth. So what does this mean for us? Well, the first is, when we, when we celebrate this come Lord Jesus, when we celebrate Christmas, the coming, the incarnation of Christ, and we think about that Christ that will come again, it's not a message of fear. It's not a message of worry. It's a message of hope. It's a message of love. It's a message of joy. Because God loves us and he has not left us alone. He is coming to make all things new, to right every wrong and restore every injustice. That is good news. That is good news. But the second thing that's really important for us as we look at the end to understand is this. Notice, God doesn't destroy the earth. He redeems it. He makes it new. God doesn't end everything. He makes it new. Think about this. A lot of people, I think, have a, a misconception when they think about the, the end of the world, that somehow the world is going to, you know, H-E double hockey sticks in a handbasket, and, and God's just going to get rid of that and all the, the problems in this world and, and, and build something brand new. But actually, that's not what happens. God redeems. God restores that which is broken. You see, God, from the beginning, when all was lost in the fall, when sin entered into the world, has been on this mission to restore all that is lost, to redeem all that has been lost. So, so now why is that important? Like, why does this all matter? Okay, this is kind of heady, Paul. You know, it's Christmas. We just want to celebrate Christmas, Jesus, all that type of thing. This is important because this, if you believe that, that, that ultimately what's going to happen is that, that it's all going to end, right? That the, the world is just going to fade away, be destroyed, and God's going to start over. Then your viewpoint towards this world and our heart towards this world will become cold. It will become cold. But if you believe that God has a different purpose, that what God has accomplished when he comes in that baby on Christmas and what he will accomplish completely when he comes again is to redeem that which is broken. 
to restore that which has been lost, to, to find that which has been lost, to save that which has been lost. Then we understand that our purpose in this world is not to despise the world, not to somehow think that we need to accelerate its demise, but to join God in that work. And so for understanding what happens in the end, we understand our purpose now. Your purpose, my purpose now, is to join God in this redemptive work in this world. And saying, yes, this world may be broken, and, and it is, and there may be hard stuff going on in this world, right? There has been for a long time. But our job is to, to fight and work and love in such a way that we join Jesus in bringing heaven to earth now until that day when it fully comes. When Jesus comes, come Lord Jesus. Now the trick is, the temptation when we look at this last book in the Bible, is a lot of people want to know the timeline. Right? And want to know when and how. And Jesus actually is asked this very question by his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. And he says, yep, there's going to be some tough stuff that's happened in, in this world. And, and certainly we've seen some tough stuff that's happened in this world. And there's going to be lies and there's going to be deceit and there's going to be people who misrepresent God and all those things. But then he says, look, about the hour and the day, no one knows. Only my Father in heaven. And he says, this is the truth. He says, heaven and earth, heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will remain forever. In other words, heaven and earth, they're going to be made new, and they're not going to exist in the form that they had ever existed. But the word of God is going to be that one constant that is forever. And so our purpose is to join God in this work. To not worry about how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen, when Jesus is going to come, if it's tomorrow or if it's 10,000 years from now. But to worry about how today can we live out who Christ has called us to be in this world and join in that redemptive work. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, God's give us a weapon. God's given us a weapon. And now I'm going to get to the text that we were just read for us today. Uh, the first lesson that was read from Hebrews talks about the word of God as a double-edged sword that's able to separate joint from marrow, soul from spirit, right? That is able to penetrate, in other words, to the, more, to the core of the issue, to the core of our lives, to our very soul, and change things. And in, in, in Revelation, the text that was read for us, we, we, we read about this this rider that comes on a horse that is the, the Messiah and, and his power to, to basically make all the nations lay out is this sword that comes from his mouth. It's kind of a metaphorical image. And, and I think one of the things that, that helps us understand the book of Revelation is, is Revelation is a book that more often is not so much descriptive as it is prescriptive. Does that make sense? A lot of people want to read that and say, okay, how is this going to happen? It's a, it's a, it's a metaphor, 
uh, for us to understand the who and what is going to happen. That Jesus Christ is coming and his word is the weapon, just like Hebrews says, that he uses to call all the nations, to hold all the nations accountable, to judge all the nations, but also to save the nations. And see, that weapon is in our hands, the word of God, all right? And so I dub deep into the children's ministry supply closet, and I found a sword. It's made of plastic. Its edges are very dull, right? And I think the question we have is if this text says that the word of God is like a sword, and we see that in Hebrews, Revelation, elsewhere, what kind of sword is it? If this is a weapon, what kind of weapon? Because it's kind of contradictory language here. Now, we would think that when we think of the word of God as a sword, when we think of a weapon, at least I think this way, you think of power. You think of an exertion of force. You think of hurting someone else, right? Uh, Of a military victory. And that that's how you rule. You rule with that might and that power. But when scripture refers to the word of God as a sword and the power it has, it's actually something very much different. When we look to Jesus, because Jesus is what John 1 says, the word made flesh. So Jesus is the word. We see that the sword of God, the word of God, is actually humility, is actually service, kindness, sacrifice, love. And so when we are called to to take up this weapon, the sword of God, the word of God, to to be Jesus in this world and to, to bring his word, this gospel message to the world, that message that we are called to bring is a message not of domination, but it's a message of peace. I think it's so important for us to know that in a broken world right now, in a world where wars rage, that we are called to have a message of peace. So what does this mean for us? Well, recently I was, I was watching a, a, a blog. I have a friend that lived in Jerusalem, a seminary classmate from years ago that lived in Jerusalem for many, many years. And he had on this, this blog some, some people that are living in the midst of a war right now. And one of them is a Christian pastor and an older man that's been part of that society for years and years. And he asked him for, you know, what's the wisdom? What do we do? And he said, of course, pray. But then he had some, some strong words. He said, and they really struck me. That he said, for those who are taking God's word, regardless of your religious background, right, Jewish, Christian, or Muslim, and they said, using it as a weapon to dominate and hurt others, to inflict power and force. He said, don't. Because that's a misinterpretation of those words. And, and I think that that's true. I'm, I'm speaking from a Christian perspective, but the Jewish scriptures are part of our scripture. And, I, and I'm not Islamic, but I know that, that, the, that the teachings of Islam ultimately are a way of peace. And, and what he was saying is that to misrepresent that and to use that in a way for military might and gain or to exploit worldly powers is a sin. And he was calling us to end that. 
So what do we say in response to that? I know this is a really difficult topic. The first is this. I want to say to you, we are called to be people of peace, but I know because we live in a broken world and we look at history that, that there may be an argument that, that sometimes force and the use of force to stop evil in this world is necessary and maybe even just. I am really thankful I'm not in a position of that government authority where I have to make such a horribly difficult decision about how to protect people in light of evil in this world. And I think our calling is not to throw stones, but it's to really pray. Get on our knees and pray for people who are in those positions of power to make decisions so that they make the best decisions to protect people and to work ultimately for a solution of peace. I believe that that's important. I believe that's important. The second thing is I think we need to clarify some misconceptions in our world as we think about this. One of the misconceptions is, have you ever heard this popular expression? Well, you know, I, I get it as an excuse a lot for people of why they don't believe. And they say, well, well, Pastor Paul, you know, religion really is the reason for all war and injustice in this world. Have you heard that before? We've had three people make arguments, family members. There's this thing called the Encyclopedia of Wars, where they documented all known wars in, in human history. And, and, they, and they added them up, and, and, and they did the research, and they looked at the root causes of all those wars. Do you know how many wars in all of human history were actually the result of a religious disagreement? What percentage would you say? Let me throw it out there. Zero. Well, I wish, I wish. No, it's, it's 7%. But most people believe it's about 100%. Now, it is true that most of the time, geopolitical conflicts, for a lot of reasons, there's lots of reasons of, because of sin for war, religion is often manipulated to justify actions. But actually, when you look at it, only 7% are truly religiously motivated. And most of the time, what ends war and the people that respond to the people who are displaced by war and people who respond to those who are wounded in war with love and compassion are people of faith. Right? So it's a misconception. Where did that misconception come from? As far as we can tell, it came from popular culture. Have you ever heard the Beatles song, Imagine? And I love the Beatles. But in the lyrics to Imagine, Imagine No Religion, People Walk in Hand, that's an absolute lie. Right? The coexist bumper sticker, right? That somehow the religions are, are pitted against each other and that's the source of violence. It's not the truth. And in fact, when you look at the Encyclopedia of Wars and you add up the greatest atrocities of human history, Stalin's Russia, Hitler's Germany, Pol Pot's Cambodia, Mussolini's Italy, the greatest atrocities are usually at the hands of nations that have secular humanist perspectives, meaning nations that are promoting an atheist agenda or are far from God. And so I think it's important to qualify that, right? That, that we as followers of Jesus Christ, we're people of peace. And history demonstrates that yes, people have, they're just wrong. They've used 
religious jargon to justify violence, but they're always wrong because Jesus calls us to be people of peace, to be people of love. Think about it this way. Of all the people that have ever lived in the world, of all the people that have ever walked the planet, no one has had as much influence on the course of our world and the compassion and mercy that is shown in this world, not even close than a poor carpenter who never held a sword or a weapon that we know of, never held a political office or position of power, was not wealthy, we don't even have a picture of him, didn't have a degree or any source of human power whatsoever according to worldly standards. Yet Jesus Christ of Nazareth, because he has a message of peace and love, has changed our world more than any person on this planet. That's the sword of the word of God that Hebrews is talking about, that Revelation is talking about. It's love. It's the self-sacrificial love of Christ. God's answer to the violence of this world is to step into a violent place and die on a cross for us. For us to say, that's not the way. But I'm gonna redeem this. I'm gonna redeem this. So what does that mean for you this Christmas? <laughs> okay, because it's a lot of heavy stuff, I understand. But I felt that the Spirit was leading me this way. Well, it means this. In light of all that, God has a mission for you. Our Joel is to be people of hope. It's not to just complain about it. It's to be careful with what we say. Don't scare the children, right? We're adults, but as followers of Jesus Christ, what defines us is hope and love and mercy. And I believe that we're called to be sowers of peace in this world and sowers of love, not division and hurt. That's who Jesus calls us to be. So my Christmas challenge to you, my Advent challenge to you in the application of this is if Jesus has come on this mission to redeem the world, that's why he came the first time, and that's why he will come again to redeem all that has been lost, then how are you gonna join? And perhaps the most significant thing you can do during this season of Christmas, this season of Christmas, is just in one way, sow peace. Show love, offer forgiveness, give mercy, bring unity, and give grace like Jesus gives. Amen. Father, thank you today for your grace and love and mercy. Guide us, lead us, Lord. Give us your wisdom as we seek to be your people in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.